Welcome to Origin Gate's daily podcast called Wisdom's Echo. I'm Samantha Mahoney. Today I'm doing part two of noticing the pattern. When I speak about that, I'm talking about a manifestation in your bloodline, in your children, in your parents, in your grandparents, whatever it is that is the same, a pattern that perpetuates itself and continues from generation to generation. I'm giving you keys to notice what accusations are against you and your bloodline in the courts of heaven. Things that you need to repent of to break that curse and stop it from carrying on into another generation. Today I'm going to start looking at idol worship and again have your pen and paper handy because I'm going to give you a lot of scriptural references and as I'm speaking you may be triggered into realizing this is actually prevalent in my bloodline and this is the key for me to deal with it. So idol worship. What is idol worship? It means you're the property of another God. It speaks about covenants that have been made between you and this false God. It's spiritual papers that have been signed. What does idol worship look like? It takes many different forms. In one of my previous podcasts, I spoke about anything that makes your heart stoop, as in bowing down, as in worship, is considered idol worship. And I particularly used the example of when you have negative responses or negative thoughts, fear is always at the root of those responses. So what does fear do? It's like a pressure that makes your heart stoop down or bow down. There is one king, king of kings, son of God, Yeshua, okay? And he should take the only place where we bow down or stoop down to worship. So anything else that makes you do that is considered an idol. And it can take many different forms. So there they can be um, idol worship of inanimate objects like stones, wood, trees and rivers. In many different cultures, we see that trees and rivers and stones and wood carry a major, a major important part of that culture. And it's okay to be associated with certain things, but is there the worship of it? That's the, that's the crux of the matter. In other cultures, there's certain animals that are considered sacred, like cows and rats, that people will bow down to. They are also worshipping of higher powers of nature, like the sun, the moon, the stars, or fire, water, air, earth. Even worshipping Jehovah under a symbol or under an image is considered idol worship. Worship of false gods under a symbol or an image, like fertility gods wearing charms and um, amulets, um, is part of that idol worship. Different rituals that we do. Anything that is put before God is considered to be an idol. I mentioned in one of my previous podcasts about how I am studying currently to become a healing code practitioner. And most of what I've been doing to date is working on myself. There's a series of questions that I've had to ask myself, which has come to the root of what is in my heart. And unfortunately, and I'm ashamed to say it, it is idol worship. My family was an idol in my heart that I would put before God. You know, one of the questions that was asked is, what would happen if your most important thing got taken away from you? You know what my answer was? I would lose my reason for living. 
If I lost my family, I would lose my reason for living. How untrue could that be? It just showed me what is in my heart and it's given me something that I can begin to work on. Anything that is before God is considered an idol. You can go and have a look at the curse in Ezekiel 8 verse 5 to 15. But I'm just going to summarize. Idol worship provokes God to anger. It's considered a great abomination. It says that the land that where this stuff is done is filled with violence. It says he'll deal in wrath. I'll, and I'll just read this part. It says, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. Another thing that I've studied about bringing freedom to the body of Christ is Freemasonry. And some of the things that I've seen in the rituals that they do is they make oaths and covenants with death, but not only for themselves. When they go into the ritual, mostly they will write their own names in signing this covenant, saying I and their full name, and they also list their future generations um, way, way down the generational line, and they bind those generations to these covenants that they are taking on that day. This is why it's important. So when I say to you, let's repent and deal with idol worship, don't justify it going, well, I have never served another God. You don't know what's gone on in previous generations. And you could be um, seeing the repercussions or the curses playing out in your life based on a covenant that somebody locked you into without your permission or your consent. And maybe it was even before your time, but you are reaping the rewards or should I say the demonic inheritance of those covenants that were made. So when we go into the courts of heaven, let's just own it. Another thing is incest. Let's move on to that. Leviticus 18 verse 1 to 18. It gives you the list of who's off limits over there. Now the Ammonites were descendants of Lot's youngest daughter. The both of these daughters conspired to produce offspring through their father by making him drunk. You'll have a look at the curse in Deuteronomy 23 verse 3. And it talks about that curse carrying down not to three and four generations, but up to ten generations. One of the ways that this curse manifests is barrenness. Barrenness as in you cannot produce offspring. Another thing, another curse is you shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. So let me just talk about barrenness for just a few seconds. In Genesis 20 verse 12, there's a conversation that happens between Abraham and the Philistine king Abimelech of Gerar. Abraham reveals that Sarah is his half-sister, stating that the two share a father, but not a mother. And we know that such unions were later, later banned in Leviticus 18, but he goes on right there to talk about how she is his sister. What was her main problem? She was barren. We know that Yahweh changes Abram's name to Abraham, changing the, the scroll that was written for him, the thing that speaks over him. We know that Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, also changing her destiny and her purpose. This is all from a Hebraic understanding. And we know that even God says, your descendants will be as numerous. And, and Abraham goes, well, I don't even have a child. So how are my descendants going to be numerous? We know that Sarah was barren. And it was when that curse was broken that she was able to produce Isaac. So, you know, we've, we've prayed for people before. And 
just based on this particular scripture um, you, and, and this this thing about barrenness, when people have come to us and said, we are barren, would you pray for us? The only thing that we deal with, the only thing that we know to deal with is just repent of incest. Um, a 50-year-old lady bore a child that we prayed for and we just dealt with that one accusation, which is incest. We've had numerous stories just by dealing with that one accusation against them. Let's move on to adultery. So that's Leviticus 20 verse 10, Deuteronomy 22 verse 22, Exodus 20 verse 14. It talks about all of that. And I'll just show you how, I mean, you know whether there's been adultery or not in your own life, in your children, in your parents, your grandparents, because it brings such devastation with it. But the curse was death by stoning. That was one of them. Um, Proverbs 6 verse 32 says, it destroys the soul. You know, so where there's that, there's no peace within the soul, just begin to repent of adultery. And if, if, if you have been fortunate enough to never have experienced that, but you, you're recognizing some of these things like shame, dishonor, reproach, that comes from Proverbs 6.33, just go into the courts and repent of it. The curse is to the third and the fourth generation. Um, another one is... Um, homosexuality and in our day and age this is quite acceptable but I'm only sharing with you what the word says again none of what I say is to bring judgment on anything that's between you and the Lord all I can do is highlight what the word says Leviticus 18 verse 22 talks about this some of the curses is the curse of Canaan which will be you'll bend the knee um, humiliation, being vanquished, being brought low, subdued, being a servant. Servant means being in, pond, in bondage, um, keep as a laborer, enslave, okay? 1 Samuel 15, 23 talks about living outside of God's blessing. If you want to know what is the thing you need to repent of right here, your answer can be found in Romans 1, um, particularly 18, but read, read the whole of Romans 1 where it says, you know, the people were neither thankful nor grateful. They bowed down and they worshipped images that were made with their own hands. Um, they neither acknowledged the Lord and, and his workmanship. They rather worshipped the created rather than the creator. And so it says, because of this, I gave them over to their lustful desires. So if you're wanting to know what kinds of things should I deal with in the courts of heaven around this issue, Go and have a look at Romans 1.18. Another one is dishonoring your parents. Deuteronomy 27 verse 16, Ephesians 6 verse 2 and 3. There's, this is part of the curse, dying before time. You know, um, dying as a teenager or dying as a child or, you know, just before you're in your old age is considered dying before time. Being in constant trouble, having no vision. So let me read Proverbs 20 verse 20. It says, Whosoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Obscure in Hebrew is ishon, which means the pupil or the ball of the eye. And so we see that your vision has been um, cursed. And it's confirmed in Proverbs 30 verse 17, where it says, the raven will pick out the eye of those who mock their father and do not bless their mother. So this is not a comprehensive list of all of the curses. These are just the ones that I've researched and looked into up to now. But when you go into the courts of heaven, you stand 
to before God asking him to judge you. And you might go, well, I've never been in the occult. So whatever, just say you, you are here, you bear all of the DNA of your past generations and all those who are coming out of you in your future generations are within your DNA. So right now, right here, you are the voice speaking for your whole bloodline. So just own it as though you did it. You know, when the accuser stands up and he reminds God, the righteous judge, that he cannot rule in your favor because these sins and iniquities in your bloodline still stand against you because no one has repented of them. And if someone doesn't repent, they will legally be used against you in the courts. God rules based on the evidence presented. It also says he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Once we repent of it, this is not renouncing, it's repenting, owning it, applying the blood of Yeshua and repenting of it. And I want to close with this. How do we deal with iniquities? Now, in the Old Testament, a Jewish person could have their sins forgiven, but they could never have the curse of their sin broken. And if we look at David's example, he was forgiven of the curse of his sin with Bathsheba, but that it was passed down to the family. See 2 Samuel 12 verse 9 to 13. Now, the process of dealing with iniquities in the Old Testament was as follows. It comes from Leviticus 16. And I'll just paraphrase that process to you now. So the priest would sacrifice one goat, sprinkle the blood as he did with the bulls. Then he would take some of that blood of the sacrificed goat, place it on the head of the scapegoat and confess the iniquities of the people over it. One goat died for the sins and transgression, but the scapegoat carried away the iniquity or the spiritual force on the inside of us that causes destruction. He would send that goat to a dry place. Now he says by the hand of a fit man because he had to walk far so that that goat didn't come back into the camp bringing with it the iniquity that was placed on its head in the first place. But now we see something else since Yeshua has come. Isaiah 53 verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So let me just show you the difference between a wound and a bruise. If I took a fork and I stabbed you in the arm, you're going to bleed, right? That would be a wound, an open wound. But if I punched you real hard on the arm, your arm would bruise. And therefore there is bleeding on the inside of you, which is a bruise. Jesus was wounded for our transgression, which is evidenced on the outside of the body. But iniquity is a spiritual bruise on the inside. It's, it's within our DNA that tries to break or destroy our lives. So the, blue, the wound bleeds on the outside and a transgression is an act on the outside of us. So when the Bible says Jesus was wounded for our transgression, it means that the blood he shed on the outside washes away every sin from our lives. What did that look like? Remember when they put the crown of thorns on his head, he bled on the outside. When they um, whipped him, he bled on the outside. When he was bruised, he was bruised on the inside to wash away the curse. Every, he washes everything away on the outside and he sets us free on the inside. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sin is like scarlet, 
they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So no matter what our sins are, no matter how deeply stained our lives are, the blood of Yeshua doesn't just cover them, but he washes them away. And Jesus doesn't only wash the sin away, he washes the consequence of our sin, which is death. But here's the thing, we have to confess our sins. In Leviticus 26, 40 to 42, it says, If they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile toward them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pray for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So this is the thing about Yeshua. You know, yes, it has done absolutely everything, but we've still got to do something with it. We've got to administrate that blood. We've got to apply it. You know, when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, God told Moses to give them instructions regarding killing a lamb, taking its blood and applying it to the doorposts of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over. The blood had to be applied. The people had to take it and do something with it. If we don't rule over sin, it crouches at our door waiting to have us. And we know that when sin is full grown, it produces death. And death doesn't only mean physical dying. I mean, divorce, suicide, mental illness, addiction, oppression, bondage. These are all forms of death. We have to take the redeeming blood of Jesus and we have to apply it to every door in the spirit where a foothold was given to the devil to gain entry. As we repent, we seal those doors closed with the speaking blood of the lamb, the only acceptable atonement before God. I think I've pretty much come to the end of our generational inheritance and bloodline issues. And we do have more resources on Moed ministry. So you can go and find detailed things of how you deal with your junk by going to www.moed-ministries.com. Have an awesome day and I bless you and I bless your bloodlines with freedom and life in Yeshua's name.